into a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars. And we'll Hello and welcome to the cool room. Uh, my name's David Griffiths. I'm one of your co-hosts tonight for one of our live Meet the Brewer sessions tonight with Urbanaut. Uh, as ever, I'll give a little bit of a rundown and some housekeeping things so that we can all start on the same page. And we're really looking forward to some fantastic beers and some fantastic opportunities to, to mix them together and do some really fun, creative things as we move on through the podcast. Um, for that reason, it's important that you have the right beers in front of you tonight. Uh, whether you're joining us in the Zoom room, and a shout out to everyone who's in the room with us live on Thursday night, or whether you're listening on the podcast, uh, there's a series of beers that you need to have to maximise your experience. Uh, we're going to kick off with the Calio Hazy IPA, then on to the Monterey West Coast IPA. And then we're going to have a couple of the blenders, which we'll uh, explain a bit more about as we get deeper into the podcast. Um, if you don't already have those beers with you and you're listening on the podcast, then we suggest that you either check out our online store or just search up uh, whether you're in New Zealand and can grab them direct from the brewery or search up in Australia where you can get them. And that way you can listen to the beers, uh, listen to the beers, you can taste the beers as you listen to us talk about them. Uh, it'll be much more entertaining and meaningful for you that way. Um, and we really suggest that, particularly given the size, both in terms of volume and alcohol content, that if you're joining us live, you make yourself a little tasting paddle. Or if you're joining us on uh, the podcast version, that you take a bit of a break and make sure that you are uh, enjoy the beers responsibly and sensibly uh, rather than try and knock them off in the time that we have available to us tonight. Um, you won't enjoy them as much as if you savour them and we'll make sure that you know when we're moving from one beer to another uh, and so that way you won't be left with the wrong beer in your hand at any time. Um, a big shout out to everyone who's discovering us for the first time uh, and uh, we really hope that you follow us not only by rating and reviewing the podcast but also on social media, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and make sure you do the same thing for Urbanaut, it just makes a big difference to how messages can get out about the fun things that people are doing. Uh, if you do that, that means you can be sure not to miss out on any of the future events that we're having. So we've still got a whole lot of fun things lined up. We're doing New Brew Sundays where we sit around together and anyone can come on with whatever beers they've got from wherever they've got them uh, to enjoy those. We've got a bit of a feature on Bonehead and Two Birds and Venom this week. Um, but we've also got Akasha coming on next week to talk about their rebranding and all of their delicious beers. And then the week after that, we've got Weinstefana or Weinstefan joining us from Munich for Oktoberfest, uh, which is going to be compulsory, silly outfits, uh, particularly for people in Melbourne. And um, we're really looking forward to some fantastic beers and the chance to talk directly to Munich during October about uh, what it is that they've got in 10 different amazing bottles which are going to be available in our online store on Shopify, which you've probably heard about already, so I won't bother to explain any further at the moment. What I will do is throw over to my good friend, Travis Bristos, he of the ceiling windows, to introduce Bruce from Urbanaut and get us underway tonight. Evening, David. Evening. Evening, Bruce. Good evening. Uh, thank you for that shout-out to the ceiling windows, David. It's... Um... It's very good. They need to clean at the moment, but uh, I'm not sure how to do that. So we'll see what happens. 
Uh, welcome to the call room, Bruce. Let's uh, start off with the, the hazy IPA. I'm hoping everyone in the room has cracked it open, as I have, and poured it into a glass. Let's start off by uh, you giving us a bit of a, uh, a picture of where Urbanaut is and what it looks like. Visualise this for the listeners out there in Australia and overseas and any other location they might be in tonight. Okay, dear. Yep. Oh, can you hear me all right? Yep. Yes, mate. Yep, sweet. Ah, so um, we're a brewery based in Auckland, New Zealand, and we're an urban brewery. So that means we're kind of in the community, uh, but we're also quite central for Auckland. Uh, the brewery itself is in a big old um, industrial building with big steel beams, a lot of light. We're fortunate to be on, a, on the rise of a hill. Um, for people that may have been to Auckland and are familiar, there's um, Eden Park, which is a, our kind of big national rugby park. We're a 10 minute walk from there. You look out the other end of the building and you can see the Sky Tower, and that's kind of an iconic uh, Auckland landmark. And we've been set up there for three years. We have uh, a kind of cellar door experience where you come in, We've got a bar at one end, the brew house is at the other, and there's a load of seats in the middle. It's quite loose in New Zealand with uh, some of the rules around where you can have people in a production area. So literally you're in with the tanks. You can talk to the brewers when they're brewing. And uh, we've sort of established ourselves uh, ourselves over the last three years as a um, fairly uh, common beer for the Auckland beer scene. Nice. Uh, so you you kind of led into the next question there in relation to you know, when and, and uh, what year did the brewery actually start? Um, so you, you mentioned there three years ago? Yeah, so um, started three years ago. Um, the background of it was I've started with two of my best friends from school. Uh, we traveled together, um, always talked about beer. Um, I went abroad learned brewing, worked in brewing for sort of 11 years. My two other friends are the co-founders, Thomas Rowe and Simon Watson. Uh, we always had this dream that we were going to start something together, whether it was a brew pub or something bigger. And so we decided to go fairly big for a brand that had never made a beer. When we ordered the kit, we didn't have a name. And uh, my two uh, co-founders had never tasted a beer that I'd brewed. So it was a bit <laughs> <laughs> Only friends can uh, give you that much trust. So I Where guess, does the name come from? What was the question, sorry? Well, I was asking, where does the name come from for Urbanaut? I was, that was one of the ones that just, you know, the immediate questions that popped into my head the first time I saw all the labelling. So, Yeah, that was a, a real struggle because uh, we wanted to do something really unique and different. Um, we've always sort of been city dwellers, even though we grew up in the countryside, we'd sort of settled in cities and traveled to great cities around the world. And we loved kind of celebrating the fact that as Kiwis, we often go abroad and do an overseas experience, learn a lot, live in these great places, then come home. And we thought, well, how do we kind of bring that essence into what we're going to do for our project? And so we looked at lots of things around being a citizen of the city, um, what it's, the kind of celebrating urban lifestyle, but also traveling to other urban spaces. And so it took us about six months to get the right name. And then when it was um, 
suggested to us. We're like, oh, that's so good. That's so perfect. It's a unique word. Um, we later found out that the only time that word had been used that we could find on Google, mm. uh, in 1991 in Tokyo, there was a monorail that they called Urbanaut. Um, monorail say it again <laughs> you got it and so from that point onwards it was great because we could kind of own the name and it still sits really well with us as as a as a brand and as the people that come and work with us and people sort of get it it's just cool so i guess the next question for me is um you're all still mates yeah you know going into <laughs> business with with really good mates can be daunting at best and sometimes it doesn't pay off the way you want it to uh, after three years, still mates? Oh, even stronger. So ah, perfect. Yeah, it's been Great. so good. Like, uh, it comes up a lot in the brewery where it's perfect with three of us that all have known each other for such a long time and there's such good levels of trust that if we're making a decision about something, if two out of three agree, then sweet, that's done. And then we just move on to the next thing. And, and Bruce, did you come from a, a brewery back background or, you know, you mentioned that your mates hadn't tried a beer that you brewed. What was the background? What brought you into the brewery world? So I've got a, well, first of all, I started traveling a lot in kind of early 2000s. Went to the States, went snowboarding there, discovered Sierra Nevada with both Simon Thomas. Then came back to New Zealand, finished university degree in engineering, and then went traveling through USA, Canada, and landed in the UK, working in a range of different um, industries and not really enjoying it. And then I've been homebrewing for years and I thought, well, manufacturing, homebrewing, it's time to get a job in a brewery. And uh, the perfect job came up at Fuller's Brewery in London. And so I did three and a half years there and went in as sort of middle management, um, more of a technical side. And then after about three years, got invited to go and join Meantime Brewery based in Greenwich in London. Nice. And stayed there for five years and basically joined when we were doing 2 million litres a year. And in five years, we did 11 million. So it was just a crazy growth period and learnt a lot and learnt a lot about what um, we could do when we set up something to be able to grow quickly if we wanted to. Yeah. And so brought some of the traditional kind of UK beer styles back to New Zealand with me, um, which have also developed into newer styles more recently, which we'll talk about soon. Amazing. Amazing. Um, we're going to obviously move on to the beer. We've got three massive IPAs on the list for tonight. Um, we're starting with the, I want to say Callow, but I'm not sure that's right. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Give us a quick breakdown on what uh, what our guys and our listeners out there should be tasting in this beer tonight. Yeah, we don't crack it myself. Um, oh. <laughs> You're probably the last one to crack we, it. We love that sound as well. Love we love the sound. it. You hear that sort of sound of the beer opening. That's important. Oh, beautiful. So um, for this one, it's a 5.8% hazy because we've made a few hazies that are in the sixes and sevens. And for this, this is more sessionable but still with all those big flavors of a stronger hazy IPA. Um, key importance, obviously it's gotta be quite hazy. So we use a London fog yeast and always been happy with how that turns out. A uh, bit of oats, flaked wheat and wheat in the malt grist. Um, 
but like any hazy, it should be really tropical fruit forward. Um, the first time I brewed this, I was aiming to pretty much make what would taste like an orange and mango popsicle. Um, it still has those characters, but there's quite a bit of grapefruit there as well, a little bit of lychee. Yeah. Um, a bit of sweetness on it as well. We've kind of, um, the final gravity is a bit higher than what we would on some of our other IPAs. And yeah, for me, it's the favorite ha hazy that we've made. It's uh, the most requested as well. Yep. And How many times have you made it? Sorry, Travis, yeah. I'm cutting no, no, you, you, That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> uh, so this would be probably the sixth brew and our brew size is two and a half thousand liters. And that's only in probably six or seven months when we introduced it. So it's pretty much constantly yeah. in tank, constantly being packaged and then constantly selling out. So it's great for us because it's always fresh. Yes. Nice. Um, sorry, I'm just taking a sip of my, my beer there. <laughs> um, how's it sit in relation to the rest of your range? Like, you know, on the scale of what, what else you've got available, um, where do you sort of see this one sitting? This is the one that's the fastest grower and we're going to put this into three thirty more can as well because there's a demand for us. Okay. Yep. Mm. Um, do you do anything in a three thirty mil at the moment? Yeah, it's sort of core range beers, so like a, a Pilsner Pale Ale, um, IPA, yep. APA, Stout. Um, but... I know, sort of, you don't really see them. I don't think we're sending them to Aussie, but um, this will happily join that kind of group of beers. Yeah, nice. Does that mean we won't be able to get it anymore? That it'll only be available, you know, in 330s over there, and that Ryan, who's sitting in the upper corner of my Zoom room, is not going to bother to bring it over here, mate? Just, you know, just shouting out. Oh, I've no, got him muted for a reason. It's going to be both. Ah, um, uh, cool. 30 I feel like Ryan wants to to call out on this one. Is there something you want to say, Ryan? Feel free to. Oh no! All, all I was saying is I, I don't make that call uh, when it comes to what we bring over. Um, but in terms of, of of what beers are selling over here um, from Urban or Kelly is selling out um, consistently, which is fantastic. Mm. Oh, great! That's what you want to hear, eh, Bruce? Absolutely, <laughs> <Love it. laughs> so good. So we've been sending some to Europe as well and seen on untapped. There's a lot of people drinking it in Sweden and Norway, now Germany. And it's like, shit, this little beer is sort of, can't really keep up with this. It's doing well for us. Uh, we spoke about untapped on our midweek episode um, before this one goes out. And I mean, obviously untapped's quite an amazing thing. Do you, do you look at untapped to see sort of how, how your beers are performing when you're sending them to places like Europe and those sort of areas or? Yeah, definitely. A lot of it is to see where it's been drunk. Like that's always of interest for me. And then it does give you an overall view of how people are enjoying them. And um, particularly when you release a new beer, you're quite eager to see what the comments are and um, yeah, if people think it's shit or if it's, if it's good. So it's <laughs> a bit of a... comment on the people that think it's shit and sort of bite back at them and say, hey... No, I never comment at all. I'm just a voyeur just to see what people are doing <laughs> in, their, in their own homes. Um, and as a brewer, it's just a, it's, you just, it's sort of like a bit of a feedback, but you, you never take it seriously. Um, you know, you, you look at it as an overall picture, but if anyone gives you a really sharp review, then 
you know that there'll be a nice one coming and you don't really yeah. take it. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do we, um, uh, David, is there anything else you wanted to ask in relation to the, the hazy? I, I feel like um, this is, the, it's pretty easy drinking. It's, it's, it's a nice, nice beer. Um, and I know David mentioned at the beginning of this that you probably shouldn't drink the entire can in one hit, but I feel like my can's about to be emptied pretty quickly. It's certainly smashable. Well, that's, well I guess the, the, the logical sort of question before we move over to Warren Wu, who I think has joined us in the room, he's brought the Afternoon Herald and whatever else with us, uh, with him. So, g'day, Warren. Hello. I presume you're there. Hello, Warren. I didn't even see you there. Yeah, just snuck in. Just so Warren's going to ask about the Monterey West Coast IPA, which is also in the pack. The one that isn't uh, that's, that's in the pack, but that isn't officially on the tasting uh, tonight, is the Death Valley. And so, perhaps do you want to briefly explain that one to people for for when they're moving from one beer to another, and um, you know, we'll have a bit of a yarn about that, yeah. and then Warren can kick off with the Monterey in a minute or two when people have finished their glasses, if they're doing what Travis is doing. Yeah, cool. So yeah, the Death Valley was a bit of an experimental brew for us where um, it was the lightest um, malt bill I'd done for an IPA. Um, it's pretty much all Pilsner. Um, there's no crystal in there, which we'd often use and we use in, in the Kaleo. Um, we actually uh, turned it into a brute IPA um, before the label or after the labels were produced. So it does have that dryness about it. Um, and super fruity it's that's all using citra and mosaic but only cryo hops so often a brewer will use cryo hops which have sort of twice the stank of um, your regular hops but you use it in a combination with regular t90 so we went out on a bit of a branch to make this big fruity super dry and quite light malt bill ipa there was actually no um, bittering hops used at the start of the boil. So the bitterness that you get is all from the whirlpool hops. And it's the first time we kind of brewed a beer like that and super punchy. Um, you still get a bit of the malt sweetness even though it's bone dry. And mm. I was actually gonna grab a can before I left the brewery tonight, but we've sold out and even the lab samples have been nicked. So um, I'll get <laughs> enjoy it through you guys. Uh, on the screen well that must be a good sign and it must feel you know well disappointing not to have the beer in your hand it must feel great to know that they've actually you know you're shifting that much of it that there just isn't any left oh absolutely and that's the best thing is when we can sell out so quickly we know that's going to be drunk fresh because that's a big part of all structure of our beers is they're designed to be consumed in three months and so yeah. um when if we run out of a beer as the next batch has been released, then that's the, the dream scenario. And luckily that's what mm. we're against at the moment because we can't quite keep up. So that's cool. Very good. Yeah. Safely predicted that, you know, people can decide we have a little competition each week about when Warren Wu will enter the room. Well, Warren entered the room and now he's run and now away. He's gone. And um, oh, he's back. He's back. Glad I didn't have time to um, say anything particularly bad about him in that time frame. Um, Bruce, I was just wondering about the names. Uh, we're about to crack open the Monterey. Um, assuming that's... I, my assumption is it's Monterey County in California. But yeah, the names of your beers, where, where does that all stem from? 
um, the IPAs, I suppose, more specifically. Yeah, so um, every, as part of our kind of brand philosophy is that every beer that we make is named after a, a suburb of a city that we've either been to or traveled to or want to go to or seen in the movie or expired, inspired by. Um, and so we usually start with the beer style that we want to brew. Then we'll come up with the recipe and then we'll link that back to, okay, so what does that feel like? What is a place that we've either been to or have seen? And so with Monterey, um, it was kind of driven by being a West Coast IPA. It is Monterey, California. Um, and then the can artwork kind of should lead towards um, a certain music festival that happened there in 67. Um, Ship in an airplane for those who came into the room early. Oh, Jefferson <laughs> Airplane in that case. That's it. Um, and so we do that with all our beers. So our core range is Kingsland Pilsner and Kingsland's where the brewery is based. Then Brixton Pale Ale, and that's where I lived in, in London. Ah, um, Brixton. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Why, the, you, did you see a lot of gigs while you were living in Brixton? Absolutely, yeah. Brixton Academy. Oh, geez, good, isn't it? That's so good. Um, then our big, kind of really resinous multi um, IPA is Williamsburg IPA, just because it's a big, huge beer, and Williamsburg, New York, just felt right at the time. So, so Death Valley. Have you been there? Uh, the, yeah, one, what's of the hottest, there? one of the hottest places on earth. Well, I could now it makes sense because I would be <clears> if I had your Death Valley IPA, I think I'd be smashing a million of them because they'd just be going down treat. Or is um, it dry like a cactus? Yeah, maybe. Although cactus is quite moist on the inside. Great fact, that is true. Is it dry <laughs> like a cactus, Warren. Maybe I knew what I was. <laughs> but yeah, that one's aptly named because um I used to live in the top of um, California on the border of Nevada and we'd drop out a drive to Las Vegas and you'd drive through Death Valley and it was like below sea level, so, so dry. And you'd go for walks for about 10 minutes and you're like, oh, this, this is it. Let's get back to either a bar or the air conditioning. And so we kind of set out to make this really dry IPA and then in the end made it even drier and um, perfect name for it. Yeah, amazing. And the Calio? Yeah, so that's out of... Um, like Helsinki, yeah? Yeah, in Finland. And it just seemed like a really vibrant, kind of bubbly... Um, I've not actually been there, but one of the other um, owners has been there. And so it was just a kind of fun reference to the time they had there. But do you hazy. Google that Warren Wu, or do you actually... Have you been to Helsinki and hung out in Kalia? Oh, I was no, just I've thinking never the hung same thing. Kalio, but but like it's I've I've had friends who have travelled extensively to Finland, and I was planning on going there, but I missed my opportunity. You know, and, and it's and Bruce will know this. When you live in London, you can, and everyone who's lived in London, um, if you want to go on a on a, like a pub crawl or a, or like a bucks like road trip. You can drive, you can drive ridiculous. <laughs> you can drive any, like the whole of Europe is your oyster. It's amazing. Whereas, yeah, we, we, uh, you know, um, a boy's, a boy's uh, bucks turn in, in Melbourne, like road trip from Melbourne, you'd, you'd be lucky to get out of the state, which I think is just remarkable. So I, and I really love the, going back to the, the question at hand, I really love the idea that we had last week, we had personalities, very much beers about personalities, but yeah, 
beers about kind of the the feeling a location evokes is is pretty awesome without telling us the styles of beer have you got any other names on the list of places you've been to that you're going to name beers after coming up um at the moment we're, we're about to do an uh, apple crumble sour which is based on one of the blenders uh, that we're going to taste later um that's been so popular that we're looking at names right now for that um roma has come up um we had a bit of a session on it today uh then also there's one in london which didn't quite fit for our uh, peckham's a uh, peckham in london Hi. um but yeah we, we kind of there's a team of about five of us that kind of talk about it argue agree argue again and then we choose a name well, I'm sure you'd like to be inundated on social media with suggestions. So we won't give you a social media. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. We, we're always keen for new cool places. What is your social media? Just to make sure that we do get that out there before Warren kicks off and we get underway with the Monterey. So um, on Instagram, I think it's, I should actually know this, uh, just Urbanaut Brewing. Um, and I assume the same on Facebook. Um, I've since passed on that role, so I'm not actually sure myself. It's very nice and simple, and can I genuinely applaud you for that as someone who has to interact with uh, a number of different breweries on Facebook. Having that originality of name that you described much earlier on there, it just makes life so much easier. Oh, totally. And that was a real key point that we um, we had when we were looking for that name, was it's got to be completely original, and we were lucky enough to f like find one that... Yeah. Only shares a name with a monorail, so that's... it's um why I changed the spelling of my name, so I understand. Off you go, Warren. Let's talk Monterey. Ah, all right. So Monterey, um, West Coast IPA. We've got a few IPAs, and you brief and you 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 describe the hazy really well for us. Um, what what in your heads is that West Coast IPA feeling? Um, for me, I'm pretty old school, and. When I was in the States in 90, oh, 99 through to 2002, they were sort of emerging at that point. And they were big, really bitter, really malty and had lots of crystal malts. Um, they had hopping that I'd never tasted before at the time. Um, so I've sort of constantly been recreating these in the last few years and we do a West Coast IPA every year. And the feedback was always it was too malty and too bitter. Um, so... As much as I love those, and I still get people saying, when are you going to release El Segundo West Coast IPA? Because it was just on point for that style. Um, for me, the taste of, or the uh, palate of um, drinkers has kind of gone away from those huge levels of bitterness and crystal malt. So we've kind of reduced this one down. It seems to me a really sort of sessionable West Coast that still fits the bill. Yeah, yeah. when you first taste it, it's if you yeah it depends on how you're gulping it if you go if you take a good gulp it is just really lush and round <laughs> sip it slowly and let it run across your palate and you get that hint back to that old those big bitter old old styles um we had we had sierra nevada on um and occasionally they'll enter their pale ale into into the occasional competition and the the quote they always get, or the judge, the judge notes that they always get back is uh, not quite up to style for American Pale Ale. 
and you just then and it's it's amazing how like that and that what made me think of that was your comment that our palates have changed so much and have, have drifted a bit i suppose um yeah that's i think i think there's still enough there is you are you are you kind of sad that it's moving away from that from that original idea I was for a while and I'm like, I guess from, I've got a fairly traditional brewing background and have studied um, diplomas in brewing and been in Europe and having European pilsners and lagers. And then um, that's, that style has changed as well. But at first I was a bit anti um, hazies kind of for that reason. Cause it's like, this doesn't actually fit anything that I've been familiar with, but now my palate's changed as well. And I actually do appreciate like, slightly sweeter and less bitter beers. Um, just quickly, back to the name thing. Uh, Kieran's just jumped in with the question in our chat room. And just a reminder to our listeners, if you want to join us, uh, you can always throw in questions. Um, so Kieran's asked, do you always pick the non-anglicised name for cities or do you pick the non-anglicised names? Do you like Roma as opposed to Rome? Rome. Yeah, I guess um, for me and probably the rest of the team when we're making these decisions is it should fit as you would experience it when you are there hmm. and how the local people would feel like it. Because if you do say Roma, then it's kind of like, okay, it would transport you there more than yeah. in Rome. And um, So, yeah, I think we do actually. Um, Hopefully that pronunciation is correct on a lot of them and we always try and get the spelling right. So. So, so if if we're going for the, along those lines that you just described, would be is it in the ballpark that we expect Roma to be kind of a really um, nimble, kind of really clean that that Peroni esque style of lager? Is that well? No, well, this one is actually for an apple crumble sour. So it's oh, more that's the apple crumble sour. Yeah, so more. Ah. Well, hopefully a traditional fruit and then it's got sweetness and it's got um, kind of sourness happening at the same time and, yeah. and harmony and balance. And it's uh so more like the cuisine and less like their local, their local swill. Yeah, absolutely. We actually, that's one thing is we generally avoid if say we made a Belgian triple, we yeah. wouldn't choose a place out of Belgium. We'd be like, okay, well that's obviously just so black and white and so easy. Yeah. We would yeah of course. Where can we find some more inspiration outside of that? Love it. Um, so back to the beer. Uh, Simcoe Citra Cascade, um, Cascade Cryo. Uh, so what what do we? I suppose I'm just trying to dig it. What do each one bring to this little this little number? What were you trying to express with with your different hop bill? Simcoe is one of my favourite hops, and it has been for years. It's just got that beautiful tangy kind of grapefruit. Um, pine really coming through strong, um, a bit of burnt orange. And as a home brewer, I used to just love brewing with it. Um, I think it's kind of changed over the last few years. Um, I was going to ask that. Have you, have, yeah, have you seen most of the hop change? Do, 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 is this a different beer because of that? Is that? Uh, I guess the best references we used to do a single hopped um, APA with just Simcoe. Mm. It was three years ago and it was just on point beautiful perfect maybe it was a hop farm that we got it from um 
but then when we've recreated it, it's um, got a bit oniony and too bitter. Mm. It might be down to the, our brewing technique, I'm not sure. But um, Simcoe in general has been a pretty good hop when mixed with others. Mm. Um, Cascade, lovely hop, and again, traditional American, one that Sierra Nevada mm. pioneered, and there's not too many people that aren't familiar with that beer. And when I first tried that as in 99, going to the um, ski resorts in California, and instead of the local swill that I'd expect in Palmerston, North New Zealand, which is just a 4% New Zealand draft, going over in the standard beer that everybody was drinking, which you just assumed was you know, gonna be tasteless, and hmm. go to bars and they'd just be pouring Sierra Nevada, and I just, that blew my mind. I'd never hmm. really tasted hops, and so Cascade has its place in my heart for that reason, and Again, great when blended. So, again, flavour-wise, just for someone who's genuinely sort of striking beers like this for the very first time, which, you know, we get in the podcast, what would the flavours of a Cascade, you know, what, what does that bring? For me, it's grassy <laughs> first, and then with sort of a hint of grapefruit. Mm-hmm. It's not as full-on as its sort of cousins that have come through in the hops out of um, the West Coast. And... Um, but yeah, I, I just love this kind of sweet grassiness and then with a bit of, sort of citrusy, whether it's grapefruit or burnt orange, it's um, quite mellow um, mm. for today's standards. But at the time it was, it was rock and roll. It was big. Has, um, oh, I was just going to ask, has, has the changing hops and, and the availability of hops, and we often touch in this in our podcast, affected what you what you do and how you how you do it in terms of your IPAs and, and trying to get them out and try to keep up with the market? Yeah, absolutely. And that's um as a brewery that's sort of three years old now, uh, for the first two years, if we wanted a certain type of hop, it was quite hard to get because we weren't contracting and we didn't have sort of the cash to pay for contracts for a certain type of hop like all the popular ones and so there's been a couple of times where we would run out and then some hops you just can't substitute and particularly citra and nelson sovan out of new zealand they just have such a unique character on their own so we have sort of evolved our recipes but in general now we can sort of forecast well enough and we have good relationships with our hop suppliers so we can generally get what we need do you, do you, do you guys um, contract with individual farms and individual suppliers, or is it mainly kind of through the yeah through brokers and channels? I'm I'm fascinated because you don't get to see that side often. Yeah, true. Um, we haven't been in the position to um, do that yet, but that's coming in the next sort of twelve months. Cool. And like particularly with the New Zealand hops, and we're so lucky here because. Um, there's a lot of development going into the like researching certain hot breeds and say there's a particular farm with a particular row and a particular lot that has a really good um, yield or um, the flavor from that hop yield is um, so good that they can now do research on it and then try and recreate that across the rest of the farm. And so now when we're receiving hops from that supplier they can tell us yes this this pack was from this farm in this row and then we'll brew an ipa with it and then compare it with um 
on the same beer with hops from a different row. And then that's what's wow. sort of coming. Yeah. Man, but that's, currently, that's cool. Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's fascinating. That's, yeah. I suppose it makes sense for like, you know, wineries will pick out certain rows of vines, which they say will are better than other rows of vines. Um, yeah, why not hops? And yeah, makes sense. Mm. Can, yeah, can I no, ask a, off you go, Bruce. Yeah. Yep, we're now referring to um, hop farms in New Zealand of having a certain terroir in the same way you'd refer to <laughs> the wine. And, yeah. And there's not been done before as far as I know. And so that, that research will sort of unfold over the next two, three years. Um, which had a few of those conversations with breweries that have, or people who've said that, you know, some of the hop, you know, fields are particularly sort of oniony or particularly garlicky and bring out those sort of flavours or if that's how things have changed over time. So that's, that's I reckon, fascinating. So um, a very nerdy question. How do you, we've had a few different brewers on the last few weeks who've described how they sort of see what might be the palette of different uh, hops working together in different ways. We've had ones who've described it almost like seeing it in terms of an audio composition with sort of how the three or four different hops might blend together to make sure there's no gaps or some sort of see it visually. When you're sort of thinking about combining three or four different hops, how do you think about it? Is it a taste thing or do you almost see it visually or in a sound way or a smell way? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Um, and I've, I think I've been thinking this without actually realizing. Um, each hop well, That's good. Then I'll knock off the night. You just keep on talking for an hour or so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see them as a personality. And so when I think of Citra, I kind of think of a, um, I can almost visualize what that personality is like. And yeah. in terms of when you, you're kind of combining hops together, I used to sort of be happy to do three or four or five hops in a single brew and now pretty much reduced it to two. And you kind of know what that relationship between those two will be like, sometimes three, occasionally four. And it's for my own personal kind of way to picture it. If we use UK Goldings and then we chuck in some German Spaltz and you know, you've got a noble hop and then you've got this kind of traditional UK hop. And then we're going to slide in Mochwaker from New Zealand, which is a relatively new breed. And then you kind of, imagine those three working together and then you taste it and you're like, okay, one of those didn't fit here. What, who would? And then, so I guess it's like paint, playing a game of guess who and you're kind of like flipping over different hops until you get your combination. Almost like a dinner party where, you know, well, the, the, I, I love both Warren and Travis, but if I put them in the same room together, it's going to end in tears, you know, <laughs> half an hour later. So we'll have, yeah. a, we'll have a party with Travis on Friday night and we'll have a party with, you know, Warren on Saturday night. And they'll both be great parties, but they shouldn't be in the same room together at the same time anymore. Yeah, exactly. We've all been in the same room together, actually. Like, it's been well, yeah. Yeah. Maybe between lockdowns? Yeah, probably between lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd visit the hairdresser and said, <laughs> just quietly. Sorry, I've done my usual thing and come in and distracted everyone, but yeah, I was just fascinated to hear how it's really interesting to hear how people differentiate those sort of mm. hops and work them together. And as you say, you seem to have less, the last few breweries that we've had on have had five or six different sort of hops in a single beer. Mm. And your ones very clearly don't have that, which I thought was a real point of difference to some of the ones that we've had. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Cause uh, we want to have a point of difference and want to explore 
that relationship between hops. And so I never really thought about it, but it, it, having different dinner parties is a way of describing it really well. And for me, you've got that one friend that you know you can invite to every party and they'll get along with everybody. And that would be Mosaic. You can kind of put Mosaic into everything. Might be a little bit louder than everything else, but it seems to complement. Yep. Yeah. I kind of want to have a dinner party after, after all the lockdowns are done, David. I kind of want to have a dinner party where everyone that comes into the uh, virtual Meet the Brewer chats on a Thursday night turns up to a in-person dinner party and we see how this unfolves. Like, yeah. 2025 is going to be a great year, Trev. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, I might drag this back on track uh, in a couple of ways. The first one is let's everyone who's who's in the mood will start thinking about moving on to the first uh, the first blender, which I'm really excited about. This is yeah, this is a first and kind of a bit yeah, a bit awesome. You still have question four of your. I do. Yeah, run. I'm going to. But no, why people are thinking? Oh, the last week's incident. I'm Warren just preparing before people. he came on tonight that I'd stolen a question from him. So I'm just preparing. I'm just preparing our dear listeners and or everyone in the room for what's coming up, and we can have a discussion around other things while people are preparing. I think it makes sense. Would you know. like me to leave and go to the fridge? Yeah, Who would please, have thought yeah. Warren was the one to take control of the night and like oh, pull geez. us back into alignment, David? You'll need to have your own glass as well. Uh, to to make sure you can do the proper blend, I think oh. numerous glasses actually. So we need we need a glass for each of the single uh, entities before we blend them. So that's a three glasses per. So, so yeah, Sorry. like I mentioned it early. Um, so uh, as people are getting their twenty four glasses and and their two beers and their. Um, oh, you're going to do the whole different percentages blending as well, Warren. That's great. Yeah, I thought I was being let's a nerd. Pack it into percentages. Um, yeah, this is really, and I love the the packaging. Everything is yeah, just screams fun. But let's go back to the question I was going to ask. Um, so, so in terms of, uh, let's look. Oh, we we were talking about COVID. Let's keep on going down that lines. How has that affected you guys, uh, particularly? the pub and your plans and what you were, what you were playing on trucking on with? Yeah, definitely came up as with everybody a bit of a, a bit of a shock at first. Um, we were quite fortunate that we'd run down our keg stocks um, as kind of COVID first lockdown was approaching New Zealand, purely through lack of planning and we were a bit disorganized. So um, we had a lot of beer and tank that was coming through. And so from, that point onwards, we're just like, right, well, let's put it into cans and see what we can do with that. Luckily, we had a couple of export markets that had been wanting to buy our beer and we've been saying, oh, we don't have any left and we can't work with you yet. And so then we picked up the phone and started getting all these huge export orders. And so we pretty much just kept on brewing right through and um, didn't put anything in kegs for a couple of months. Um, and then you were able to do more blenders. Um, was that, so was that on the, the cart? Well, so we're about to, we're just for everyone playing at home, we're about to look at the rhubarb saison and apple crumble sour. Uh, the, the, so more blenders, so the, with blenders, did, did this accelerate the idea of blenders? It sounds like it, it kind of did. I would have had them out for about nine months, but um, 
we weren't really able to do or keep up the program that we wanted to do because a lot of work that goes into each one because you've got to make mm. two pairs for each pack. Um, so it just sort of all our parallel and pills and they dropped off. So we just started coming up with new combinations and new ideas for, for blenders. It's yeah, which is great. Um, I think that's a nice little segue. And we're back after our little break in the cool room. And this is going to be one of the funnest bits that I think we've had in cool room history because we have not one pair of blender beers, but two pairs of <laughs> blender beers. It was much harder to say than I thought it was going to be. But Bruce, this is a fantastic idea. And I've been saying to people just selling from the bottle shop, it's just amazing when people walk in and see those beers that they wanted they want to know what the story is this must be a great way to market beer other than the fact that what's going to be in the cans is fantastic um where does the idea come from even before we taste it so um here in new zealand there was a um a drinks company called karma drinks and at our cellar door um we've we've been selling their karma cola and lemon lemonade and it was in these cute little 250 mil squat cans and the last time I saw them was on a plane in the mid nineties and it was head coke in it. And that was the most awesome thing. This little fat little can. And when I first saw the soft drink in it, I was like, that is so cool. And at first I thought that's 250 mils is not enough Coca-Cola or not enough cola. But then once you had it and it was like a craft cola, you're like, actually that's, that's just the right amount. And then I realized that I hadn't seen a beer in that can size. So when we ordered our canning line, um, I specified that the, the can line has to be able to fill this little squat can. And it was out of, it's from a, a Colorado um, can line manufacturer called Cody. And they said, we've never, our machines have never filled one that tall, it can't do it. And I said, well, if you can't fill that can, you don't get the order. So of course they worked you out a way. You swear when you said that, you were very polite when you said that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good um, negotiating tool for it. And so then we decided we we're going to fill this little squat can and we just thought it'd be cute and people are drinking sensibly and healthy and so we thought we'd do a lager that's hoppy 250 mils 5.3 percent and it's one standard unit and so that's our i don't think you guys have had it over there but it's called our miami brute lager oh yeah Mm. fastest um growing yeah it's our fastest growing core range beer and so again does it only come in that size or does it come in the double version like that we've received the blend oh yeah yeah, so you have had it. Yeah, it has a double version, and then we do a, an eight pack as well for like a fridge ready eight pack. Um, and it's low carb and it's one standard unit per can, so that was a lot of fun. And then we were sitting around one day and I was like, oh, we can maybe we could like find a way to do two IPAs together and do both in this little can, and you can have one type of hop in one can and another hop in the other on the same malt base. So we started talking about that and started getting excited. And then, was, then we were like, what about beer blending though? Because we do it often on our on the taps at the cellar door. And we'll be like, what, what would you like to mix the stout with um, the pale ale? And then if we have sours on, we start to mix those up as well. And we all grew up with Shandies when we're in the UK. 
steady enough we used to drink snake bites at bars black and tans have been black and tans <laughs> yeah a black and tans a good thing I'm not i i haven't had one tans. in ages but I, that's <laughs> without getting too far off track david you and i have had a few random blended black and tans at the royal mail front bar on occasions over the years well i still claim to have blended the cake hole before the cake boys from moondog ever did it I used to put the founders of Rubeus with the Moondog chocolate salty balls. It was a great blend of beers. I thought so anyway. But that's, that's by the by, Bruce. Tell us more about... So I'm fascinated. I would have thought the idea for two beers that pair beautifully together would have come before the idea of the size of can, but it was the size of can that came first. That was, yeah. And so then we, we thought, oh, how are we going to package them? And so... First of all, we started thinking of ways of having some sort of adhesive around the top that would cleanly break away. Then we were going to shrink wrap the whole thing uh, or like yeah. shrink film over it and you peel the whole shrink film over and there'd be two labelled mm. cans and then that was going to be really expensive. And then um, Simon, one of the other owners, said, well, what if we had a um, strip and we could peel it off? So we got the label manufacturer in and we're like, oh, can you do a perforated label and how would that work? Um, and he's like, oh, it won't work. The, the cans will break in transit. They'll fall to bits or else they, you won't be able to tear it or it'll tear the whole label off. So we went through about two months worth of trials with them and came up with a whole lot of um, cutter dies. And I learned that there's about 200 different types of perforation slots you can have. <laughs> they have different widths and lengths mm. and gap that remains and they have little hooks on them. And so we did loads of trials and that was the kind of pivotal point. And then we can't we found a combination that worked and so then we thought well what are we going to um what beers will we put in and when do we launch it and um beer barn is a big festival or the new zealand's biggest beer festival mm. so we thought let's just go for it and at the beer barn stand we won't pour any other beers we'll just have these cans um in combination and we'll tear them apart in front of people give them a taste of each beer which at a festival is quite a time consuming process and it really went off and people loved it. And so which were the beers for that one? Sorry, just, uh, so they were, we did a fairly small batch. It was brutal. We did six half brews. Um, so we had a, a chocolate imperial stout with, um, a vanilla beer, which was basically a Kolsch with extra vanilla, um, a yuzu super sour with, um, was that? That was with a Sichuan pepper Kolsch. Mm. Oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be outrageous. Yeah, we really, we really went there. We, there was no hops in sight, though. We didn't do any IPAs in that one. We did a, a Manuka chili smoked ale, Ooh. and that was paired with a Kawakawa Horopido Goza, which are some bush herbs from New Zealand. Get, explain that for a little bit more because I don't know what any of that means, to be very of, honest. Of that combination? Yeah. Um, yeah, so a manuka is a New Zealand um, bush kind of shrub. And over here we use it to smoke. Um, there's a, a maltster in South Island, Gladfield, that um, makes smoked malt using manuka branches. So it's quite a, a smoky... Um, you don't need much of it to make a kind of smoky beer. And mm. so we also put a ton of chilies in it. So it was smoky and chilly and it was kind of a meaty kind of beer. Um, and it was based, I think it was a 7% strong ale. So it was, yeah, multi smoky, um, 
spicy. And then the other combination for that was a salted goza um, and then using New Zealand bush herbs, which are kawa kawa, which is kind of like a New Zealand bush basil and horopito, which is a kind of a peppery um, locally found herb. And that was my favorite from all the ones that we did at the start because you had this kind of big, almost meaty, smoky flavor. And then you had a salty, herby flavor. You'd taste them both separately. And they were both really interesting beers, but so challenging. And then you pour them together and it was kind of like you created this whole meal that had all the elements of a, like a roast. Yep. It was um, That's a fantastic. So you've, you've gone from those ones, which are, uh, if I say eccentric, I mean it in a nice way, but like very singular flavors. The ones we're about to have now are a rhubarb saison and an apple crumble sour. Can you start to talk us through what we're about to have on that front and, you know, sort of perhaps more straight down the line flavors. And why don't we kick off with the, um, with the rhubarb saison maybe. Yep, absolutely. So it's the first um, Belgian beer that we'd actually brewed as part of Ebernot. And um, I've always loved saisons. And then I kind of grew up with rhubarb patches um, and the, and the houses next door to ours and someone would always be strewing rhubarb or um, often turned up in desserts at mum's place. And so I kind of felt like that kind of danky fruity sweetness of the rhubarb would work well with the kind of estuary um, earthy flavors of a saison. So what we should be doing here, am I right in saying, Bruce, is pouring maybe a third of the can into a glass just so we can appreciate the rhubarb saison as it is to start with. And yep. then maybe do the same thing into another glass with the apple. And then all jokes aside about how many glasses we need, have another glass where we can start to blend the things together. So appreciate both first. Is that the way you'd like us to? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yep. I must say while we're waiting here, when I ripped the uh, the connected foil, I guess it's a foil sticker, it made a hell of a sound. Um, this is kind of cool. And I'm going to do this into the microphone just so we get it onto the podcast. But never have I had a beer that makes this sound. <laughs> For those listening at home uh, without the benefit of Zoom... That was Travis undoing his fly. <laughs> Some real ASMR stuff happening. I feel yeah. like the, the perforated edge of that sticker works really well. Mm. It's a great idea. Like I've, we've had blended beers from Moondog and others in the past, but this is just light years ahead in terms of neatness. But the presentation of it, like people come into the bottle shop and want to know what the beers are. Yeah. And there's, it feels like, yeah, you could, there's definitely in your mind, you first go, oh yeah, gimmick. There's got to be, a, it's just, it's just got to be a gimmick. But then that doesn't stop you from genuinely wanting to try both the beers and try blending them together. So all of a sudden it becomes a genuine thing of interest. Like it might, in your head, it might start off that as a gimmick, but then when you realize, no, actually I want to drink both of these and I want to try to, Drink them in all sorts of combinations. It yeah, it becomes it, it, yeah, it's funky. Love it. I'm drinking it's them too quickly. It's been the greatest feedback is that people because I I can see squarely myself uh, when we um, launched it. I was like, this is going to be seen as quite a gimmick to a lot of people, and it's kind of the craft beer world. But um, 
yeah, the feedback has been, it's actually just a pretty fun experience and you get to try two different styles that you may never buy anyway. If you saw a can of a rhubarb saison and a 440 mil, you might not be brave enough to buy it and, and go mm. through the whole can. Whereas with this, it's a less risk and get two beers and essentially three beers as well. But this is definitely a saison. That's what I like. The first yeah. things that hit me out of this beer are it's a saison. The rhubarb is there mm. almost as a bit of warmth towards the end in the palate for me. But the first bits that hit me are this is a beautiful drinking saison. So for those, again, for those people who might be joining us for the first time, can you just talk about what a saison is and sort of why you've chosen that style? Um, it's a great style of beer, particularly in spring and, you know, summer in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, and I, I love that it's, it has quite a dry finish on it. Um, it has those really classic um, Belgian estuary notes. And um, I could kind of see that it was quite an interesting base to put a flavour into. And when I started looking at different fruits and vegetables and spices and then rhubarb, just felt like a perfect match for it. Was as we added um, the rhubarb to fermentation, and what we've ended up with for me is it's a, get a bit of sort of rosé wine um, on the aroma, and even mm. visually, it's got that kind of pink hue to it. Um, a bit of earthiness, and it just works well together as as its own beer. Um, now, I'm going to keep things moving along because I'm conscious of how much of your time we're going to be taking here soon, given we've got a fair few more beers to crack on through. So if people would like to pour a little portion of the apple crumble sour, and um, do you want to talk to us both about the sourness, but also about how you get the apple crumbliness out of it. And Travis, if you have any uh, thoughts on breaking down of sound and stuff you want to I'll leave you to intervene with all of that oh, yeah all good I'm actually curious is there a uh, Bruce is there a combination in relation to which one we should be pouring into the glass first um, generally I'd always say the lighter beer of the two but um, for the one I think we started right with the rhubarb because you discover shortly that the apple crumble has a fair amount of sweetness to it and so it'll kind of numb the palate um, so this is a kettle-soured um, beer where we um, brewed it so it would have quite a high finishing gravity, so it has a lot of residual sweetness left over. Um, we kettle-soured for three days, so it came out quite sour. Um, we've added cinnamon and some vanilla to it, apple juice and fermenter, and then some apple concentrate right before packaging, and then some lactose on top of that just to give it some real kind of dessert style um, to kind of counteract a lot of the sourness that came through. I think this one finished at about 3.3 pH, which is quite quite sour for the spectrum of sour beers. Yep. Mixing those two together at about a 50-50 ratio, uh, it, it's, it's quite amazing what you end up with. It's it's almost as if the rhubarb of the Saison that you don't necessarily get when you drink the Saison by itself kind of just 
the aroma of it when you're mixing it together is quite amazing. It it just comes through a bit more and I really love how the sweetness of the apple crumble actually I think that's what's bringing out that rhubarb. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Also brings out the vanilla, and so when I'm drinking them combined, it's actually I can picture that I'm eating an apple pie with rhubarb um, on the side and then directly the ice cream. It's just crazy how it's kind of, you wouldn't get that like combination thinking about them separately, but combined it, it totally works. Now we're going to ask a couple more questions about the combine and so forth, but we're also going to suggest to people that they hold a little bit of those ones back if they can to mix in uh, with the other pair of beers that we have just to cause a little bit of trouble. I'm not sure whether you've ever done this before, but we're going to have a go at mixing the salted caramel with the apple sour, for instance. So this is why you need your full array of glasses before you. And if for some yeah, reason like you've... Eight um, glasses, people. Eight glasses. <laughs> if you've already drunk all of those and you need some more, well, make sure you contact Urbanaut or you contact the cool room um, to get your blending experience on and um bruce you said you had a couple more in the works can we just very briefly discuss what else is coming in the blender series and um how do you feel about people just blending various things from the series together oh i love it originally we were going to release a six pack of six different beers in 250ml without any blending instructions so you could just actually get six different beers and then just um, be your own kind of alchemist and see what you come up with. That's a cool um, idea. I like yeah. that. So that is still on the back burner and something we'd love to do. Um, but coming up in the next two weeks, we're packaging um, what's the start of our cocktail inspired blenders. Well, yes, do go on. Are we allowed to know or is it secret squirrel stuff at the moment? No one listens to so, the podcast. Yeah, no particularly in Wellington where it's windy. For those out there listening, we're obviously going international tonight and Bruce seems to be having a couple of technical difficulties. Hopefully he comes back to us pretty soon. This is kind of the world we live in now, though, guys. We live in this world where we have to do everything on Zoom chats and we don't get to sit in the same same space of a pub and and do this in person so um we're sitting here at the moment looking at bruce walking through his house trying to get a bit of a uh, better signal <laughs> no, so hold on isn't the brewery in in auckland so is, does he have a house in wellington as well well no it would, it would it would assume that maybe bruce just doesn't have the nbn in new zealand <laughs> lucky bruce so Bruce has moved to the non-windy part of his house. <laughs> yeah, hopefully this is um, this is better here. It looks much better from what it's worth. It looks, yeah, that looks great. Oh, good. How big is your house? Is it like some enormous mansion that you know one meteorological area doesn't connect with another? <laughs> well, um, it's I'm actually in, I'm in Wellington. The brewery's in Auckland. Um, my wife and I live in Wellington, and I fly up on a Monday morning and come back Thursday night. So I literally made it back about half an hour before we kicked off. Um, but does the New Zealand Bureau of Meteorology issue separate um, forecasts for your house? Uh, in the <laughs> south of Bruce's house, it's going to be a very windy night. With rain, you don't, don't go outside. And... 
Yeah, um, well, this is definitely, definitely a lot clearer now, which is good. Excellent. Um, I'm not sure, what, did you get the questions we were asking before, which is essentially... I didn't yeah. get the questions we were asking before. Well, we're, we're about to move on to the salted caramel IPA and the baked pear sour. Um, which of those do you suggest we try first? I presume the baked pear sour? Um, now let's go with the salted caramel, uh, you know, let's go with salted caramel IPA. Oh, yeah, I was wrong. I, no, I would, yeah, having well, just I mean, tried them both, um, that salted caramel's got quite a kick. It's, it's a... While we're waiting for people to open up their cans, uh, you, you have some interesting labels, obviously, and on, on the bottom of your labels of the IPAs, you say, drink fresh, stay rad. <laughs> and then when we look at your your blenders at the bottom actually i'll go through this you say number one taste can a two taste can b blend can a and b together and number four party forever um i kind of feel like the the, the stay rad and the party forever have have come from somewhere are you a bill and ted fan by chance <laughs> Definitely grew up with Bill and Ted um, <laughs> all throughout. And it's just a bit of an ethos that we have at the brewery. Like we're pretty chill and we like to have fun and we don't take things too seriously. And hopefully that comes through with our brand and everything we do. We just don't, we want to make beer real fun. And so we try and... Um, Which you've done with the, the, I mean, the like we've spoken about just before, like the whole blender thing, it, it just... It, it just speaks fun, doesn't it? Like, um, it, you know, we've never had anything like this on the cool room before and, and everything about this, what we're doing tonight is fun. So hopefully the listeners that listen afterwards uh, get that same experience on it. We are going to move on though to the second blender. Yeah, so I think it's great you actually read the instructions because I didn't even realise there were instructions. It's a very yeah, it's yeah, exciting to my life. The, yeah, I went hell for leather. Do, do you need, I don't think it needs instructions. I think it's, it's not IKEA. Come on. Um, well, no, it's not IKEA, but it's it doesn't need instructions. But I thought it was pretty cool. But what I yeah, uh, I think it's really was cool trying too, to determine was which cam was can A and which cam was can B. Oh. Um, the oh, one upright would be can A, you'd assume, and the one that's the where the image is upside down is probably can B. It does actually say next to the barcode. Oh, um, just <laughs> <laughs> or, or you just look at the label. Oh, it does, but you've um, no. just as a quick note, I've I've skipped ahead in the notes, and uh, the salted caramel. Apple crumble is really delicious too. Oh, well, that's the way to do the spoiler on the yeah, yeah, oh, totally. salted caramel I'm, IPA. I'm so first. Let's, let's start with this, Bruce. Salted caramel IPA. If, if I was thinking normally, I would say to myself, well, I want to put salted caramel in a beer. IPA is not the beer that I would initially think of doing it with. Um, why an IPA rather than, say, uh, something more portery or darker where you might sort of expect that sweetness and other sort of flavours, even a pastry stout sort of kind of, you know, thing to, to get those flavours across? Well, to be honest, the birth of this actual beer was um, we were brewing our red IPA and we made a mistake on the recipe and went crazy with toffee and... Um, some of the crystal malts and then some of the vitamin specialty. And so it was no longer our red IPA. And we were thinking, what can we do with this? 
and we'd already quite heavily hopped it. And we were thinking about some of the new blenders and someone had said about salt caramel. And then we thought, well, actually that red IPA mistake could work well as a salted caramel. And so we added toffee um, to fermenter and salt and did some trials. And then we thought, well, this will actually work. This has legs. So in some ways it was, it was a mistake beer. And how many mistake beers do you make and or, and or are willing to admit to? I mean, I think it's really interesting when we talk to brewers, the very best brewers, and we, again, Sierra Nevada, they sort of, well, we stuffed this up. It took us six or seven goes, they said, to make the first sort of acceptable version of the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Um, are there things you pour down the sink or failing that, you know, are there things that you have to repurpose like this or is this just a the first time you've ever had an instance like that? We've had one other beer that we repurposed, so it wasn't quite the West Coast IPA we were hoping for. So we just renamed it as another IPA. And then that actually went really well and sold much better than we thought it would. And we've had to rebrew it four times because it yep. worked so well. And you've, you've thrown a Labrador into the top of the vat each time then, just to have a paddle around, just to bring that sort of doggy flavour through? Is that what you're... Yep, almost. But... um. Not quite that extreme, but it's, um, I think that's, yeah, only twice it's happened. Um, we've only, in three and a half years, we've only dumped one tank of beer that was actually spoiled and that was through underhopping. So, and so with this, let's go back to the happier story. The salted caramel, is it, what gives it the caramelly flavors? Are you adding adjuncts to it or is it just the way the, the grains are roasted? How do we get to there? Yeah. So, Excessive grains, which we learnt actually did work. And then we added toffee into a toffee um, concentrate into the fermenter to really bring that out. And then with a bit of vanilla um, extract as well, and then added salt um, in quite high quantities. And that kind of the salt really brings out the caramel flavour further. It really does. It, I mean, it's, it's delicious, but gee, that's, that's a dessert beer right there. You can you can hear I've my voice has gone down a couple of octaves just by how much you know sort of goodness there is in that one, and the baked pear sour that we're about to open up. What are we going to get in that one? So again, this is um, kettle soured, um, some good residual sweetness. The key to this one is pear puree in the fermenter, and then some pear extract in the bright beer tank along with some vanilla and pretty sure this has some cinnamon coming through as well. Um, this was a really fun one to brew. Um, we actually put some raspberry juice in there as well, um, which you can pick up faintly, but it kind of, it kind of works with the pear. Can I ask a quick, we've asked a few brewers along the way, but you know, how much do you do sort of a little project tank of this first, or do you just throw caution to the wind and, put all these quite dangerous ingredients, I mean, pear being one, if it goes wrong, you either get no flavour through or it just becomes overwhelmingly pear. Do you do a little batch first or do you trust your judgment? Yeah, we actually was meant to get a pilot scale brewery and we've <laughs> done it. And, um, so everything is just on experience with our previous batches and often taking usually 500 mils out of the fermenter and then getting a teaspoon or weighing out something or getting a dropper and swishing it around and getting as many people in the brewery to taste it. We've got a staff of, sort of 
10 full-timers and five part-timers and everybody tastes the blenders and we get feedback from everybody and we know that some people have like a real tolerance to sweetness and some people don't like anything spicy and I kind of hear everybody's um, feedback and then I know what they thought and then how it was received in the public arena. I was like, okay, if he thinks it's too strong, then it's not strong enough. If uh, she thinks that we could have more sweetness, then we should add more sweetness because that's where it sits well. And so it's more of a collaborative experience with palettes of the team and just some very um, basic blending techniques on a small scale. So yeah, one day we'll get a pilot kit, but up until then we're just <laughs> winging it. So it seems to work. Now we're going to kick over into questions from the room in a minute. We're also going to do the, the blends of which we wouldn't, we shouldn't be doing, but before we do that, it's our traditional cool room question, which we always like to ask, given the name of the podcast, obviously. Um, what's the strangest or most amusing or most disturbing or memorable experience you've ever had in a cool room? Somewhere where you've wandered in, or is it a brewery that you've owned or one of those ones over in the UK, I imagine might have had some, you know, there'd be big cool rooms over there. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that, um, which is a great, great question. Um, in the UK, pretty much the most stuff is stored at Ambien, apart from Carscale, because it's generally really cold anyway. So my first thought came back to Urbanort, and a year into having started the brewery, um, my wife and I got married in the brewery, because it's a big, beautiful space, and we had 120 people and brewed beer especially for it. Um, big night, a lot of dancing disco balls, a lot of food, a lot of champagne. And then some friends stayed on and helped. I like where this is going, yes. <laughs> some friends stayed on and helped to sort of pack up and give it a, but we could just lock the door and walk away that people sort of tidied up. And then went down into the chiller the next day and we had a lot of champagne that were, had corks in it. And I don't know if you know the kind of wives tale of if you have a bottle of champagne and then you put a teaspoon in it and somehow it miraculously holds the um, carbonation um, back into the... I remember that from when I was 18. I think it was about when I stopped believing it, but yeah, sure. So I went in and it turned out that the white wine um, wasn't very popular and there were lots of half bottles and there in the morning there was about 20 bottles of white wine with teaspoons in. But this was not cycling wine, this was still wine. But someone had the forethought at two in the morning, oh, yeah. put white wine in the, in the chiller, we've got to put a teaspoon in it. That, that very yeah, diligent like kind of thought that happens at two o'clock in the morning. So I'm gonna, but you go, don't, don't do it, Warren. No, I'm gonna bloody do it, mate. No, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> a, a good, a good friend is like, oh my god, there's all this wine, Bruce. I'll tell you what, no, we've got to take care of Bruce. He's he's put on a massive do, and we should make sure that the wine is okay. But there was teaspoons at the coffee, the coffee station. Let's just steal those and stick them in the top of the. I, I've been there. Unless it wasn't plastic spoons. No, they could be. They would have. The, the, the same, the, some of Bruce's guests were kind-hearted enough to think about the preserving that booze. And I think they're the friends you want. Like, they're, they're the people you want in your life, no matter how unfortunately misguided they are. Well, Bruce, let's move on to the next bit of things. We've got, have you ever sort of blended the four... Be, four tasting beers that we have in front of us together before 
I've definitely not done these four before, so I'm keen to give it a go. And have you got them with, there with you now? I'll just grab them from the other room there. Yeah, you go uh, grab them, mate, because awesome. this is the bit I've been looking forward from to. From the other end of where a couple of weeks, mate, I really, really... David, David at the moment, for, for those listening afterwards, David's like a, a kid in a lolly shop right now. He's like really, really excited about this. I think we're going to blend up the apple crumble and the salted caramel um, when we're going to blend back. everything, Travis. We're going to blend. Oh, we're going to blend everything. They're too, right. too sour to go. I'm not sure I have that many glasses available to me, David. Well, you were fairly warned ahead of time, Travis. And look, can I say at this point, thank you to everyone who's tuned into the podcast. Um, I reckon it feels like there's probably another half an hour or more of blending ahead of us, but um, there's some great flavours here, and I just can't wait to see how they all fit together. So I've got little shot glasses ready to go where I can blend little different amounts of things together because i think um this is I my idea of fun do this i feel like maybe we should go with uh professor david he needs to put his lab coat on and he's going to guide us through which blending combinations he wants to go with no 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 well let's be very clear first and foremost the first time i'm dressing up for the podcast will be in uh, a couple of weeks time so i encourage everyone to dress up for that but bruce i what would you be blending first out of these four beers that we have before us? Is there something you're interested to see? For me, it's the apple crumble and the uh, the basalted caramel, or is that just too obvious? Um, that is actually that was actually one of the combinations we were going to do with the salted caramel when we first made the salted caramel. It was going to be an apple. I think it was going to be a, um, a toffee apple sour. Shall we have a little go at that then? Oh, absolutely. King. Just just because I've read ahead of page, um, go slow on the salted caramel. It's there's a lot of flavour there. There's a ton of mm. flavour there. Um, I think that's fair. I actually agree with that. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, a good splash as opposed to 50-50, I reckon. Maybe just in my Yeah. <laughs> 15 seconds of experience. That is the fun thing is you can try different ratios of blend. Often I start off with two small amounts of 50-50 and then double one of them to see where it sits. But it actually suppose... Was your idea of the, the six pack you were talking about earlier, uh, you know, was just exactly what we're doing now. It was, different combinations you didn't sort of match them up and whatever people came up with was what they came up with sort of thing was that we were thinking it would be probably three fruit flavors mm. and then three sort of probably hazy um versions yeah. that would ideally not be fruited but have a flavor in themselves so you, naturally they would all hopefully work together but you could try um yeah, if you had the coconut hazy, you could try that with the pineapple and you could try it with raspberry and you could try it with chocolate. Mm. <clears throat> Do you know yeah. what? It kind of reminds me of the first time I bought a pack of Jelly Bellies. You know, those those flavoured jelly beans, those like gourmet flavoured jelly beans. And you could just like, they'd have suggestions on the back of the, the pack, but instead you'd just smash whatever flavours you, you happen to fall in your hand um yeah and this is like it's it's like yeah they all work like all of them work together it's it's delicious 
it it works well. I mean, I'm not sure we. I'm trying to work out the four we've got here at the moment. If you could put a combination together where it wouldn't work, yeah, um, yep. It's if you know if anyone wants to come up with a combination that might not work. Um, I am sitting here thinking that what would happen if we mixed all four together? I'm keen to try all four. Um, I'm worried it's just going to be a bit too much on the flavour. Um, well, for the for everyone had, in, people in the Zoom the two room, two sours together. Mm, it's a good option, actually. You got your pear and you got your apple. Apples and pears, they've got to go together. Sours, both yeah. sweet. And do you think the cinnamony flavours of the uh, the apple might... So a bit less of maybe one-third apple, two-thirds pear, or am I being too clever by half there? Um, I always start with 50-50 and then mix it from there. So just... I'll let you do that and then tell me what uh, after that what you reckon I should do, because I'm running out of those little samples there. Right, I must okay, get cool. back onto uh, the brewery website or the Cool Room Shopify account to buy some more beer. There you go, beautiful. Keep plugging those uh, those links there, David, because I kind of feel like us sitting around and mixing beers together isn't exactly good audio podcast material. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, but we might draw a line under it at some um, so one of the great things about being online with us on a Thursday night and doing this live is that you can actually ask questions. You can sit around and have a question or two afterwards. You can um, give your opinions as freely as you feel fit. And, um, you know, if you're listening on the podcast version, we really encourage you to come and be part of the Zoom room. Um, we obviously know that hopefully as Melbourne de-enters lockdown, that leaves lockdown, might be the same thing, um, that people will be, you know, experiencing and wanting to go out and about in a different way. But we really hope you sort of come and hang out with us from time to time. And um, yes, Luke and Kim, exit would be the right word. Thank you for proffering that for me. Um, so let us just sort of close off on this bit of the formal Thursday night call room, and then we can sit around and blend everything that we see fit from there. Yes. Uh, thanks, Bruce, for your time. And hopefully you'll hang around in, in the chat afterwards. Hey there, Cool Room listeners. We've got a little ad for you. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right, ad over. <laughs>